Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring, bringing insight into the history of supply chain management and exposing you to some of the industry's thought leaders and driving forces. This is part two of the interview with Supply Chain Now host and industry agitator, Greg White. Enjoy. Because we're also managing to things like shelf life, because we manage produce and other perishable goods. So there, there is a lot of not just optimization, but also managing to constraints and optimizing and balancing that constraint mechanism is very, very difficult. It's something we mastered, Lordy, 15, 15 or so years ago and have just continued to refine over the years. So what was your role in that? Were, were you the, the thought leader, the master replenisher, just the, the motivator? So I actually read a book and learned how to write a very basic code language called VBA, which makes stuff calculate like computer code in Excel and produce models. So I built these models using what I knew and what I could find in books and at the library and that sort of thing. And then, then I hired a really talented uh, developer and Bob, his name's Bobby Cochran and he knew supply chain from working at U.S. Steel in Birmingham. And before I met him in person, you want to talk about virtual, a virtual company and, and remote uh, management. Before I met him in person, he and I figured out how to wire all of these Excel models together, create real code, build it on a database, and create a uh, user interface. And he built the very first beta version of it in 30 days at a condo at the beach that I rented for him. He said, I, I can do this in 30 days, but I have to be able to get away from the house. So I rented him a condo at, and Gulf Shores, Gulf Shores or Destin or Orange Beach or something like that. And he went down there and sure enough, he built an enterprise class technology solution in 30 days. Now it wasn't, it was first cut. It was definitely not MVP. It had all of the advancements that previous technologies had and some adaptations that we put into the technology to solve the ills of some of those older technologies like the E3 product. And we just started shopping it around because what I realized was I was trying to sell people my concept of these spreadsheets and say, if you'll just pay me, I'll make it into technology and nobody was signing up for that, of course. So we, we built it into a technology and we took it to a few companies and they signed up and then we were off and running in this smaller industry that, that JDA and other companies had really walked away from. Even E3 had walked away from even before they got acquired by JDA. And, but shortly what we realized was much, much bigger companies had the need as well and had the frustration with the products that existed on the marketplace and they saw something in us and I would say probably our biggest, I don't want to say benefactor, we definitely earned it, but the person who, person and company who really recognized that we were different was Burris Logistics. It's a 3PL for uh, produce and cold chain and their customers are BJ's and Giant Eagle and, you know, big, big chains grocery store chains and 
and they recognized that this could change the game for them. And they had the E3 product at the time. And we replaced the E3 product at the time. And that was the awakening moment where I realized we can really compete with the big, big guys. And so we started going after them and, and took down a few of them and spread it around the country and then around Europe uh, and, and into South America as well, and a little bit into the Far East. The company's still based in Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. Hashtag supply chain city. I didn't yeah. realize. Darn skippy, right? We're, yeah. We are fully committed to that, absolutely. Good. Yeah, we, in fact, when I was still running the company, we were right across Highway 75 from where the new battery is, the ballpark, truest park. And I watched that thing go up from a big giant hole in the ground to where it stands today from, from the corner window of my office. It's fascinating. Is Bobby still with the organization, Bobby Cochran? He, he, well, so we have built a few products since then. We haven't brought them to market. Uh, we, have, we have a product that we're contemplating to white label to other companies as their underlying technology because the need still exists. And what we see is that in the indirect materials and the direct materials and the finished goods aspect of manufacturing supply chain, some of those principles are, they're still a few years away for the technologies that exist in that marketplace. So he has a J-O-B with a good friend of mine, Paul Noble at uh, Verison and Paul and I have this agreement that Bobby can moonlight a little bit on, on what we're calling fulfilled, uh, which is a product that will attack that problem for manufacturers and brands and that sort of thing. So yes, basically everywhere I've gone, even, even the company that I ran that was arguably supply chain, but not the same exact market as Blue Ridge, I brought Bobby in immediately. It, he's just so gifted. It's, it's impossible for me to operate without him. We started out building a technology on a napkin and spreadsheets. And now we communicate so well, we don't even need napkins. You just got food on your chin. Yeah, that. right. We go around with food all over our chin, right? Because we never use napkins anymore. Come on, come on. <laughs> we use napkins for their intended purposes now, Chris. Was there another, another company in there that you, you said you, I don't know, was there another reference you needed to make or? Yeah. So, um, so when the, the investors brought in new management at Blue Ridge, I had the, arguably, I think a lot of people would think the best job in the world. I was a show pony. I went around and uh, made big relationships and did speaking gigs and they brought me in, you know, they set them up and I knocked them back. They would bring me in to talk about the vision and, and the results and the execution that the company could do. And it was fun, but I had kind of a leadership Jones, right? Cause I really didn't have many people reporting to me and had kind of a leadership Jones. And honestly, I wasn't looking for a job, but a good friend of mine, Steve Keaveny said, these folks are looking for a CEO for this company. That's kind of foundering that needs, needs some direction. And when I read the description that they have created for this role, it is you. So, you know, I, they sent it to me and I looked at it and I thought, okay, maybe there's something here. I let my wife look at it and she said, oh my gosh, this is you. So, and you know, it was, it wasn't that uh, they needed me. It's just that it was 
a written expression of what I think people believe my superpowers or gifts or abilities are. And it was just so spot on that it was irrefutable. So I talked to the founders and owners and investors of the company. And after a few months of talking about it, we decided it was, it was the right thing to do. So there were a lot of complications. Amazon was the biggest customer of the company. There were a lot of complications. We solved a lot of those complications. We tried to take the product into the broader market and the market we were in, which is service, um, service management, making sure that you're, repair people or site workers or whatever, one, know what their jobs are for the day or the coming week or whatever. And of course, the company can monitor that and, and how to do those jobs. So step-by-step, step, how do you build a receiving station in an Amazon robotics warehouse, things like that. How do you, one of our customers was a uh, erosion control company. So how do you put down silt fence on a 20% grade, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, you know, we started making some hay in the marketplace, but there were some huge players and we just decided that the headwinds were too substantial and Amazon was too, too obvious, a, a big customer. And so we kind of pulled back and focused really on Amazon, extracted some IP and the company still operates, but I believe largely owned by Amazon these days. What was that company? Or is? Uh, it was called Curo, C-U-R-O. Yeah. Okay. It means to care for in Spanish. Well, that's good to know, to care for. That's what you want to do about your customers. Right. So this is actually part of a, <clears throat> a trifecta of Greg's that I've interviewed in supply I chain management. That. So yes, started with Greg Cronin, the, the one that's soon to be released is with Greg Owens and now Greg White. So it's interesting because I was speaking with Greg Owens. He was the CEO of Manugistics. Oh, yeah. You know Manugistics. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah. And I asked him I why Gibson family. Yeah, after five years, why did they, why did they leave? Why did he leave? And he said he he realized somewhat similar to your Amazon, or the Kiro thing is he he realized while he was winning, he was winning the battles, losing the war. Yeah, uh, he was. He told me because he, he, CEO of one of the companies that, that they had recently won, you know, said SAP is going to invest a, you know a billion dollars in this product over the next five years. How much are you guys going to do? And he yeah. He, they weren't even a billion in revenues. So right, right. similar to what you were talking about. That takes a lot of vision. Well, I guess in retrospect, it seems it, it, it is that at the, at the time, I think some people, I hope other people, not just me, because that would not necessarily be a good thing. But uh, I think some people just feel it. They know when the time is right. I can tell you that I couldn't tell you why the time was right, other than some macro things right? It's too, it was too hard to get out from under the umbrella and the burden, not a joyful burden, but the burden of having Amazon as your largest and first customer, because who has more sway than that to say, this is how you need to develop your product. Um, and Greg, likewise, uh, you know, they had, uh, theirs was a fairly crowded market, depending on where you, you know, where you looked, they had uh, Manu, there was I2, mm -hmm. there were a number of other products, of course, SAP, and of course, SAP took much, much longer than that company predicted, Sure, right? But, and, and the founders, at that time, the founders had pulled up, right? Bill Gibson, who was one of the early founders at, at Manugistics, was, I don't think, 
I think he was uh, on the board. I'm not even sure he was chair of the board when Greg was there. But it's funny how, how water sort of seeks its own level, and that is Bill Gibson Jr. now has a really strong tech company called DePosco, which you might know from your space, Chris. It's a, it's a WMS, now fulfillment uh, company, and they are expanding their reach and doing some really great things around fulfillment. Uh, I've talked to Bill a couple of times, and, and that company is another one who they had invested in. It kind of foundered a bit. They needed to find their way. Bill jumped in there and has really redirected that company, and I feel like they're on a, on a good path these days. It's been a long time coming, I can tell you, because I hired one of their previous sales reps or VPs or whatever way back when probably before 2010. So that company's been around for a while, but they are coming on now. So well, back to your, back to your gut feel about timing was right. Maybe that's just a characteristic of a CEO. I don't know. Maybe that's, you know, I, I enjoy studying how people get to be CEOs. I think they're either sociopaths or they've just got another level of, of I don't know if it's intelligence or feel or something, but that's uh, well, my. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would argue that it is, there is a certain, you know, and this is, this is my personal philosophy. There is a certain amount of dysfunction that you can turn to your advantage. And it, and it truly takes a certain level, hopefully a healthy level of narcissism to believe that you are the one person who can lead or solve this problem. If you look at history through time, which is the only way to look at history, isn't it? But if you look at history... <laughs> Unless you're back um, to the future, maybe. Yeah, right. If you look at past history, um, if you look at history, you see that there was someone who either felt they could uh, attack this moment or needed to attack this moment in order to make this change. And whether you believe you can actually do it or not, maybe isn't even as important as the fact that you accept the challenge of being the person to do it because of your fear that if you don't, it won't get done. And I talk about that a lot in, you know, in talking about what it takes to be a founder. I hope it's not sociopath. I'm willing to accept narcissist light because I think there is a certain healthy level of either confidence or obligation or uh, compulsion that forces you to obsess about certain things and to, and to attempt to solve that problem. The wisest don't try to solve the problem themselves, and I have fallen into that trap. The wisest find teams of people who are much, much smarter than they are, much, much better than they are, like I have with Bobby and other talented folks that I've worked with, and they guide those people towards that steep and treacherous hill and, and try to take it, right? So uh, I, don't think you're far, I don't think you're far off if you're off at all. They're, they're, I don't think anyone is smarter than anyone else. I really don't. I think there are people that are more educated or they have a more refined knowledge of a certain topic or even of themselves or even of the world. But 
at Cura, one of the greatest lessons I learned was it is every bit it is every bit as challenging to satisfy a ditch digger. And remember, we had, we had a, a, an erosion control company, so we literally had ditch diggers using the solution as it is a CEO. And it's not because anyone is smarter than anyone else. It's largely because when you're talking about technology, people just want to get their job done. A ditch digger doesn't want to waste their time. I mean, I've talked to them. A ditch digger doesn't want to waste their time with technology to know that they need to stick a shovel in the dirt and throw the dirt out of the hole to dig a ditch, right? Just like a CEO doesn't want to waste their time with a bunch of analytics and metrics to know that this is the next thing I need to do. They want the technology to do that analysis for them and, and give them the answer. And that's no small task, but it, it is universal. So a few minutes ago, it sounded like we were diving into your Tequila Sunrise episode on, I don't know, I forgot the title. I should know the title, but so, so you want to be a, a tech startup entrepreneur, I think, or something oh, like that. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, that, you're right. I don't lessons. even remember the title, but it is basically, it's a Yeah, harsh. those are great lessons. So that's a, another thing I would encourage anybody listening. If you want to know more about that, Greg's yeah. views on that, check, check out that session and I'll, I'll make sure I reference that. Yeah, thank you. That, you know, there are some harsh realities, and I think it's better for people to confront those up front. And you talk about, in that session, you talk about having a, a leader. Uh, not a leader, but a uh, a guide, a mentor, a sensei, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm sure I'm, if I keep talking, I'll make up the words. But All those are good. And that's, that's, that's pretty much what you are now uh, to several organizations. I mean, Supply Chain Now, Ship Z. Barusen, as you mentioned, so what are you doing these days? Yeah, that, I mean, that is, that, that is my latest compulsion. That is my latest obsession. That's my latest drive is to help companies to avoid missteps, to take the right steps that accelerate their success. There are so many things that you need not learn the hard way. And that's what, to me, what mentorship is about. It's about uplifting and educating and empathizing and growing people. And I do mean people, not companies, right? It, uh, you know, a company is just a collection of really, really talented people. And um, that's what I try to do is to help Scott and, and Paul and Sarah and, and others to recognize in themselves and recognize in the opportunities in the moment what the right path is. And that's, if there's anything that I would call a superpower, it's that. I can identify people's superpowers pretty well. And I can break down, I can break down situations into what needs to be done relatively well. It's truly the blessing of being the smart ass kid in the back of the room going, that stupid teacher, we ought to do it this way. It, it's really a manifestation of being that person, of looking at things, of observing things. My name actually, Greg Gurry, the name actually means watchful one. And I have always been a really great observer of things. And I think, I'm not sure that's a special gift that I have. I've just recognized it and leveraged it. But when you have the blessing of objectivity and some level of naivete or curiosity around things, you can sit back and look at situations and break them down in a way that 
those who are in in it can't. It's getting above the forest, right? Getting above the trees to see the forest uh, for people. And that's why a mentor is so valuable. And mentors need mentors too, by the way. I have a number of them. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, frankly, if it weren't for a mentor, Ken Walters. He saw my ability to do this where I thought it would be really cool to do it, but I don't have the juice to do it. So, and, and, and of course, I've mentioned Steve Keeveney. I don't do anything in regard to finance that I don't consult Steve on. Um, he is just the master of extracting and creating value in companies, and he's a finance genius. In fact, he and I worked together at Flourish, which is another one of the companies that I advise. And he's the fractional CFO there, and I'm thankful for it. Uh, we're all better. All of us on the Flourish team are better for it. So we just had a board meeting, and I asked some questions of him and, you know, again, expressed his expertise. So it maybe isn't even one mentor. It's find where your weak spots are and, and shore those up with people that can help you. It's, it's a lonely journey to try and take on founding and running a company. It's frankly a lonely journey to do anything. I'm glad that you and I get to do this whole supply chain now thing together, right? You and I and Scott uh, and the entire team, but especially those of us who are hosting shows, we get to share ideas with one another and that's uplifting and helpful. So yeah, that mentorship thing is a, it's really important. You know, uh, Fred Tolbert, you know, Fred, he's, oh, yeah, he's been on a show course. a couple of times. He, yeah. I'm, I, I have him in high regard and he had mentioned just in passing conversation once how, how highly he thought of you. And now, as he said, you know, I, I just keep thinking back about to that, the more you talk and the more you explain your view of the world. So that's a high honor. I have a lot of esteem for Fred. So Fred and I, and another person we work with often, Corinne Bursa, we, com we competed against one another because yes. they were at Legility and Demand Solutions, right? right? And I always had a little bit of fear in my heart when I knew I was going up against Fred. <laughs> so he is truly an expert. And his episode with Anthony Zampello, yes. Z, a guy who just calls himself Z, now that is cool. That episode is fascinating, right? I mean, to think about SNOP as fascinating it really is, it is a microcosm of the knowledge that exists in two people who have do, been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah, that's an, a, a scoop you guys got on me because I think that would have been a very boring topic to cover. So, it, Well, we maybe should retitle that one, right? <laughs> yeah, that maybe was a, I can yeah. put it back in the can and shake it up a little bit. That's right, that's right. Or, or phase two, perhaps, you never know. So what about Kubera? Are you still with Clarity Capital and or Kubera or? Yeah, so Clarity Capital uh, is is not, it's not a venture capital firm. So that's Steve Keeveny's company. And what they do, this is brilliant. And I never would have thought, I, I'm sure it's, there are lots of companies to do it, but I never would have thought of it. But there are lots of mid-sized companies out there that need to prepare themselves for investment or acquisition as you know, we're going through one of the greatest generational transformations in the history of the planet. And, the, you know, companies need to position themselves to get acquired or to get funding. And Steve, being the genius that he is, put together this group of talented people 
all of whom think of it like a group of superpowers, right? Who get their, get their superpowers together and help these companies get prepared. So we have CTO types. Steve, of course, is a CFO type. We're attached to an accounting firm if they need, if they need to fix the books. Because when you go through an investment or an acquisition, you better have your books in order, right? Um, we've got people who have law and licensing gifts and people who have been there and done that, who have run companies, who know how to create a vision or how to, for a company or a product, how to market it or refine a messaging to, to change the game, how to insert or extract products into a company that increase the value. So that's what Clarity does. And, and the name, Clarity Capital Partners, it, it sounds a little VCE, but it, when, you listen, when you go to the URL, URL, you know exactly what the purpose is. ClarityExit.com, it is all about your exit or liquidity uh, event. That is something that I can do where I can help more companies and do that on an advisory role. So I think that's an important distinction. It's an important distinction for me anyway, Chris, is I work hard to advise, not consult. So if you look at my LinkedIn, or if I had a resume, if you looked at my resume, it would look a lot like my LinkedIn. If you look at my LinkedIn, I'm doing, I'm working with a number of companies, but a lot of those companies I spend maybe five hours a month with. Uh, that's the other thing is it's really, really valuable to have someone with that ob objective point of view who can, in moments, give you guidance that can be transformational for your company. And fortunately, I'm able to do that and work with these companies to be able to, to make that happen. And because I am very conscious of managing that time commitment and managing that advisory versus consulting role, I'm able to work with more companies, I have to confess, I'm reaching maximum density at this point, especially now with Kubera, because that is a venture capital firm. So I have, as many of my friends have told me, I have gone to the dark side. Uh, now I am working, I think of it in, as, a, as a service, but I am working to help seed and early stage supply chain techs get the funding that they need to to launch or to do early expansion and market uh, fit analysis and, you know, getting over the MVP in our first customer stage to next level product and finding market fit to create scalability. So that's what we're doing at Kubera. And we're doing some other things I can't announce just yet, but, you know, we want to have a much, much bigger impact than even out, just our firm can have with money. We want to enable technology companies along with some key partners to be able to really launch and, and grow and execute at, at pace. And it's going to take a lot of partners. And so far, so far we've had a good response in creating an ecosystem that helps to uplift those companies and, and surface their gifts and help them accelerate. Your passion never stops. I think the topic changes, but the passion stays there. That's an interesting. <laughs> I, you know, dynamic. it was hard for me to focus at an early stage in my career. And finally, I did focus on supply chain. I decided if I was going to be useful at something, hopefully great at something that I was going to have to focus. And when I did, things changed. And that's another thing I would encourage is know your niche.
find your superpower and leverage that. But yeah, as I, as I have explored that more, I have discovered that my gift is making things happen, connecting people and helping them, helping them find that leverage point and, and grow from it. And uh, it's a satisfying journey for me, frankly, and satisfying only in that, as I said before, I don't celebrate much, but I get to sit back and see, you know, Paul Noble take tidbits of what I and other advisors have given him and turn it into something great, which is also a gift to take a sentence or a, a cryptic, sometimes, sometimes almost cryptic uh, discussion and turn it into something great. That is also an exceptional gift. Um, and, and great leaders like Paul and Colton and Sarah, they all have that ability to take subtleties and turn them into big change. I've, I've mentioned the name a couple of times, Tequila Sunrise. Yeah. What is Tequila Sunrise? It is a celebration of supply chain tech. Look, as, as people have said, you said it earlier in the show, people don't know what supply chain is, although that group is decreasing in size every single day, right? So what Tequila Sunrise is meant to do is to surface and elevate supply chain technology. Because if you look at supply chain technology in the greater scheme of things, if you look at it in the public markets, they are typically kind of laggard, second-tier trading stocks that don't really launch and, and don't impact or shape the market in a way that I think supply chain could. And now is supply chain's time. And now people realize the value. And let me assure you, as an investor, there are a lot of people who really realize the value because valuations are getting significant. And I feel like Tequila Sunrise is a vehicle that allows us to inform and educate founders and to work at the confluence of founders and investors and even just casual observers to make sure that they understand what tech can do in supply chain and the esteem that tech should have in the broader marketplace and how to now, and there's a little bit of how to, how to understand technology and how to understand investment and valuation. Because I want, again, I want to impart that knowledge to some of these founders so that they, uh, they, they have either the confidence or the knowledge or maybe both to really make a change, really make a difference with their company. It's a great compliment and tie into, as you said, Kubera. Clarity and the other things that you're doing on an advisory level. So, I encourage anybody just to check it out. Even if you're not, they don't have a company that you want to develop or sell or grow. It's just learning something new. That's a fascinating. Well, it is. You're, it, thank you. First of all, thank you, Chris, because uh, I really appreciate that. It means a lot that you you recognize and and shared that with your audience. And it, it is, it's a service in a way. And and the goal is to get more understanding broadly of supply chain tech, just like, you know, this, this seismic societal disruption COVID-19 has, has brought to the understanding of supply chain. And it just felt like the right time to do that. So we're 12 episodes. We're about to publish 13 this week. And yeah, so there's plenty to listen to there if you want. I got to say, I'll just confess sometimes 
It's just the whim that hits me. We talk a lot about deals. We're still evolving the format. Now we're interviewing guests. And I think that will make it a lot better. But we're also tracking supply chain tech stocks, public and, and private, and the deals that are getting done. And I think we'll probably move that out of the show into the page and focus on the founders and investors, the people in it, uh, you know, in the industry. But, uh, but that's an important aspect of it too. And I've gotten some great help from a fellow named Daniel Karen at Port Logistics Group who reached out to me on LinkedIn, Chris, and volunteered to create a mechanism to analyze the supply chain tech stock index as an index. So weighting the stocks based on capitalization, assessing how much, for instance, Amazon is one of the stocks in there, and so is Oracle and SAP, but not all of their sales come from, not all of their sales come from supply chain. So we have to weigh that based on how much of their sales come from supply chain, things like that. You know, other, other firms like Manhattan or, or Aspen Tech, they are 100% supply chain, so it's a lot easier to, to analyze their impact. How did you select the, the stocks to use? Well, I went through and it was a painstaking analysis. I went through and assessed which stocks hit the supply chain keyword. And then I extracted stocks that were mostly services. These are tech oriented companies. Now, Manhattan has a huge services component, but the services are rendered in order to implement the technology. So I, I felt like that was a good enough fit. But if somebody was supply chain consulting, Park City Group is a great example, then, then they were not included. Also, if their market cap was below, I think we decided on 100 million, then they weren't included because the impact to the market is not significant enough. And it's a relatively short list. I think it's 14 or 19 stocks right now, but it's stocks like Shopify and Big Commerce who just went public. I want to make sure that we analyze end-to-end -end supply chain. So it is those people enabling e-commerce, those people enabling forecasting, planning, warehouse management, TMS, all of those things. And I have to confess, I was a little bit surprised at how few stocks we're looking at, uh, how few supply chain companies are public and, and of significant size. Canaxis is a great example of one, a really interesting company. And then, you know, just a ton more. So we're going to start listing that and tracking the index on the, on the show site shortly. So maybe we will have CNBC or other investors watching us soon. Maybe. You never know. Or, or maybe we'll talk to some of those. Wouldn't it be cool, yeah. right, to have, have some of those folks on here? I, I, think, I think tracking supply chain is going to be meaningful. Uh, supply chain tech is going to be meaningful over time. I know tracking inventory is pretty meaningful. So yeah, it's all, it's all related. It's hard too, isn't it? So Greg, something I always like to conclude with is getting guests perspective on the future of careers in supply chain management. Do you, do you have any suggestions or guidance you might have for a student considering a, de a degree in supply chain management or an experienced professional considering a career change into supply chain management? I know we, we talk about a lot of these things on supply chain now, but just wanted to get your, your short perspective on this. Yeah, we do talk about it a lot, and we hear from people a lot um, who are trying to get into supply chain. I, you know, I think the, the best guidance I can give is understand what your 
your personal gift is and find where that fits in supply chain. It makes me think, Chris, of Stefan Mao, who is on almost all of our live streams. He's in the finance industry today, has an exceptional gift for understanding finance, also understanding the dynamics of supply chain just because of his experience, and data analysis and data analytics. And he is applying that trade into, into trying to get into the industry. I'd encourage folks to figure out who they admire in the industry and attempt to get jobs or knowledge or even just contacts there and hone your skills. I mean, Chris, you teach Apex classes, right? It's a great opportunity to learn from experts and to learn the structure and foundation of supply chain through Apex or even uh, edX. MITx has a great supply chain set set of courses. It's not an official certification, but it's a great supplement to some of the things that you can get certified on. And get to know people in the industry. Look, I'm the first person to tell you, you don't earn your first job in a new industry. And the old adage, it's not what you know, it's who you know, is only about 180 degrees wrong. It's not, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. For instance, Stefan Mao knows me, but if I don't know him, I don't know what his gifts are, but I do know him now, and I know what his gifts are. And if somebody asks me about Stefan Mao or if they say, I need this particular gift, I can go, that guy is your guy. Or, uh, you know, other people like Sofia Rivas Herrera, we just interviewed her, and we're going to be releasing an episode about her. Exceptionally gifted, also trying to break in to supply chain get known, right? That, that's the thing is you've got to share your gifts with people and you've got to share your knowledge with people. And it's got to be genuine, of course, but you have to share your gifts with people to be known. So sure. it is who knows you. And a great way to, to get to be known is in, I encourage people to attend any of the Supply Chain Now live streams. Those are great venues that you get to see Greg and Scott collaborating, discussing, bantering ideas with other experts. And then what I enjoy is the, the audience interaction. People can. Yes. They've created their own community. I mean, we've got supply chain insiders and they are really interacting to get to know and uplift and share ideas and mentor one another. Yeah. It's a great community. Yeah. Sometimes those conversations take off their own, own spin. I forget, I forget what you and Scott are talking about. Right. It's almost, I, I noticed that on a show. It's almost like we're the noise in the background while they're having yeah. a conversation. And I'm okay with that. I really am. Because sure. ult- ultimately, our goal is to provide a service, to uplift and elevate this profession and to create a community that is supportive and uplifting and elevating of the people in, in the industry. Well, Greg, I appreciate what you're, you're doing for the supply chain community overall and, and specifically for supply chain now. So thanks again for investing time with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I am so honored to be on Supply Chain is Boring, really. I, I've been looking forward to this. So well, you're, thanks you're, for the invite. You're a pretty boring guy, Greg. So Thank you. That fits the queue. I was Thank afraid you. I would not fit the bill. This concludes part two of the interview with Greg White. Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now Network. We highlight historical events, companies, and people in supply chain management and create a picture of where the industry is headed. 
interested in learning more about supply chain technology startups, mergers, acquisitions, and how companies evolve, take a listen to Tequila Sunrise, crafted by Greg White. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up short stories you can use as general conversation starters. The Logistics with a Purpose series puts a spotlight on neat and interesting organizations who are working toward a greater cause. If you're interested in logistics, freight, and transportation, take a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvarez. And check out the newest program, Tech Talk, hosted by industry veteran and Atlanta's own, Corinne Bursa. Bursa will discuss all things digital supply chain. If interested in sponsoring this show or others on Supply Chain Now, send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. And remember, supply chain is boring. <laughs>